Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by thehockeythinktank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. Our guest is big time. And uh, he's an awesome, awesome guy as well. Grew up in uh, the St. Louis area. Grew up playing uh, youth hockey with Jeff. Went to Omaha with Jeff as well to play in the USHL before going on to Denver University where he won a national championship. Uh, After two years at Denver, he signed with the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, and from there, he's gone on to have an unbelievable NHL career, uh, playing with four different teams, uh, two-time U.S. Olympian, won a silver medal in 2010 with Team USA, um, and just an all-around beauty. Very, very excited to have Paul Stastny on the podcast here. Um, but before we do get to Paul, let's get over to the guy that made him, Jeff Lavecchio. Jeff, what's going on here today? Big time, big time. <laughs> what is that from? You had me dying. It's it's. Uh, I love you, man. I love you, man. Yeah, big slap time. in the base. <laughs> yeah, big, big time. time. <laughs> slap in that bass, man. <laughs> Unreal. Yeah, I definitely made Staz. I made his career. All those goals that he got me uh, growing up, just flipping the puck, and he'd be like, "Vex, just go, and I'll get you it." Yep, I made him. <laughs> Not. So yeah, funny. Pretty, pretty cool getting Paulie Walnuts on here. Pretty excited. Uh, he's done a lot of special things in his career, and we've known each other, you know, almost our whole lives, and uh, just a fun time, you know. And, and you've known him for a long time through me and through Selects. So this was uh, entertaining and an enlightening episode, I think. Yeah, for sure. Like he he had like just like his upbringing is incredible. Just the fact that he had a brother that played in the NHL. His dad is an NHL hall of famer and a legend. And like, he talked a lot about his dad on this episode, which I thought was really, really cool. Kind of gave us a little bit of a window into, you know, him growing up and how his dad was an influence on him, And, and, uh, just really, really interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, Paulie's listened to, to our, our show since the first episode and has been a fan and is always texting you and I about, you know, what he liked and what he agrees with and stuff like that. And he said he's, he wanted to come on. So, um, you know, it's pretty cool. And he knows what our show is about trying to help the next generation and, and parents and coaches and fans and everything like that. So uh, I think he did a good job educating people what it's like growing up with, with a father like that and, and kind of what his dad did to help him become a better hockey player. And it's funny, it wasn't, Paul, you're going to play in the NHL his whole life. That's not what it was at all. It was never that, actually. It was just to have him get better every single day, which is what you and I are all about. Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the things, just thinking back onto our conversation that I thought really stuck with me, um, is like he's very good and his dad kind of taught him to really focus on big picture, right? So like if you have one bad shift or one bad game out of 82, like, hey, like is it really that big of a deal? You know, and the other thing was like, you know, if you get put with two line mates that you don't necessarily like or you're not on the line, it's like, okay, this is, this is just for right now. Right. And he mentioned like the cream rises to the crop. Like I just got to continue to do my thing and I got to continue to play the way that I know how to play. And eventually it'll work itself out. And I just thought like for a guy of his caliber to kind of have that mindset. And I think that's an unbelievable mindset for, for kids to have. I wish I had that mindset a little bit more when I was playing. Even I just thought that was so, so cool and such a good lesson for kids too, you know? Well, there's a reason that, that Paul is where he is and has done what he's done and been able to stay relevant 
already for what is it like 11 12 13 years in the nhl like not only has he been relevant he's been like a, a main guy on every team he's been on uh it's not an accident and the what, thinking like that i mean it all starts with how you think how you think about yourself how you think the game um how you think about your teammates how you act with them and paulie's unbelievable at all those things and for a guy like him to be like you know I just think about the kids that I coach or I think about myself, you know, when I was younger, even, even toward in my pro career, like, Oh, and I got to play on a line with these guys today. Like, no way am I getting points? No way am I going to do well? And you're just setting yourself up for failure right away. Yeah. It's like, no big picture. If those aren't the guys you want to play with play as good as you can with those two guys. So you do as well as you can. So you get moved back up on the line you want to be on pouting and being upset about it that's not going to do anything. That's going to actually make you play worse. And you're going to stay on that line longer. <laughs> stay as long as you can. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Madison. So. Uh, yeah, it was, it was great. Such a good dude. And, uh, man, that Vegas team is absolutely loaded. That was so, so unfortunate what happened to them in the playoffs and stuff. And, um, just such a good team. There's so much fun to watch too, but, um, did want to talk a little bit other NHL stuff because it like what's going on right now in the playoffs. This has been an unbelievable playoffs and, uh, wanted to ask you because I mean, this is from the last round, but it's pretty recent. So, you know, Tuka Rask, you played with them in, in Providence. And when you heard John Tortorella say that, Oh, we dented Rask and that's why we're going to win this final game. Like, what goes through your head? Because I know how much of a competitor he is just from like, you know, just from watching him play and just from hearing what people say about him, like bad move by torts, huh? Yeah. I mean, I don't, that's uh, such a surprising move from somebody who seems like he thinks about, I mean, he is an emotional guy. Obviously he's big time an emotional guy, which can both be positive and negative for everyone who's like that. I mean, I'm like that. And I just think that to ever chirp somebody in the show, they're like the best players in the world. I don't know. Like you, you got to think that they're going to come, you back someone into a corner, they're going to come out swinging if there's somebody who's at that level. And you should know that about Tuca, that he's kind of a guy who always rises to the occasion. I mean, look at what he's done in his career. So, I mean, do I like it? Yes. Cause Torts isn't just giving the, the standard answers like we talked about on our podcast uh, before with some of the guys who do announcing in the NHL, but like at the same time, it's playoffs. Like the last thing I want to do is give somebody a reason to play better. (laughs) Yeah. When he said that, I was like, Ooh man, like, I don't know. I don't know. And then Rask, like since then, like he's been just absolutely on fire, you know, not that he even needed a, a, a fire lit under him, but just how he's been playing since then. Not that he hasn't been playing great all playoffs. He's been awesome. But when he said that, I was like, oof, I don't like that's a ballsy move to, to call out the other team's goalie um, and say, we're going to win because we've dented them. Like that's, I don't know. Yeah. He's not going to be able to see. So bold move. Let's see how this one pays off. <laughs> bold move cotton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing that I thought was interesting uh, coming from that series was actually the Charlie McAvoy hit. 
uh, on Josh Anderson. Uh, he got suspended for it, but he didn't get a penalty called um, actually during the game, which was which was really really big. And I don't want to debate the the actual hit. You know, the one thing that I thought was really cool was in the handshake line. They had the the camera on both those guys. You know, as they were kind of going through, and they had like a little extra talk, and you could kind of tell McAvoy was like, "Hey, man, I didn't mean that. Like, I'm sorry." You know, and, and Anderson kind of tapped him on the head. Was like, "Hey, man, it's playoff hockey. No big deal." So you know, things like that happen. Like, I don't think McAvoy was targeting him or his head or, you know, wanted to hurt him. He had a chance to line him up and, and, and hit him pretty hard. Um, so I just thought it was really interesting and pretty cool to kind of see him go through the handshake line and be like, hey, you know, no big deal. Hockey's an emotional game. You know, things like that happen. And uh, for them to kind of let bygones be bygones was pretty cool. Yeah, it's tough, though. Like, if you're McAvoy, yeah, it's easy to do that. But if you're the guy he hit, and he's like saying, sorry, I'm like, F you, buddy. I'm going to kill you next year. Like, that's what I'm thinking. No, but I Anderson mean, yeah. was good with it, though. Like, he, I know, he that's tapped what I'm saying, though. Like, I, I, I would not be. I would not be. Really? I'd be like, if I was McAvoy, yeah, it's easy to be McAvoy in that situation. Hey, man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to murder you. We're going on. Like, enjoy your summer. Obviously, he's being a nice guy. He's not saying it that way. But that's how I'm taking it <laughs> if I'm Anderson. And I'm like, yeah, yeah you know what? Don't worry about it. <laughs> Keep your head up next year. I mean <laughs> – I do love that, but at the same time, like, I'm sure the competitor in Anderson is like, God, I want to choke you out right now. (laughs) Yeah, well, I just think it goes to show you, right, there is a respect in the league. Um, I think those guys respect each other. You know, the fact that they had that kind of interaction. And, you know, I know Charlie McAvoy a little bit. I recruited the crap out of him when I was at Cornell. And I think I was actually telling you this. Um, it's not like we keep in touch, but every once in a while, you know, we'll kind of message each other on Twitter or something like that. And uh, I sent a tweet out the other day about the 2001 USA team with, like, Hughes and all those guys on it. And I mentioned that they were, like, the best NTDP team ever. And uh, I get a message the next day, and it's from Charlie McAvoy. He goes, no, number two team ever. Because <laughs> he played for the NTDB too. And, but if you think about it, that NTDP team, so they had Charlie McAvoy, Zach Wierenski, um, and Noah Hannafin all on defense. They had Austin Matthews, Matthew Kachuk, um, Luke Cunning, who's a St. Louis guy. I mean, they were absolutely stacked. Christian Fisher's playing in Arizona. I'm sure I'm, there's guys that I'm missing. Jordan Greenway. Um, like they were, they were pretty good, but this, this old one team that kind of went through was, was something else. I mean, all these NTDP teams now, man, they're all so good. Kids are just, I feel like when we were growing up, NTDP teams, obviously the best in the country or, or most of the best, almost all the best in the country. And there was still like not a massive gap between teams, like how good one to the next would be. But now it's like, all these kids are so good and so skilled and everyone who's good, you know, has YouTube to watch and has NHL network to watch and has their phone to learn stuff and their trainers, nutritionists, skills, coaches, like everything has gotten so much better to help kids get better that now these kids are getting to the program and they're just absolute studs. And then the program just, you know, multiplies that infinitely. And the, and the teams are just so good. Like, it's just so crazy to see how good all these kids the highest level kids are at 16, 17 already. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think, you know, the players have gotten better, but I think now that they're, you know, a lot of years down the road since starting this, I think they've been able to coach them better too and select the team better. Um, and with that, if we talk about it all the time. If you talk to any of the, like the, the higher ups there, like one of the biggest things that they have to teach those kids is resiliency. 
you know, they put those kids, like, they don't miss workouts. I don't care if you're playing a big game the next day. You're still going to work out the day before, like, you know, on Weird. <laughs> um, and they put them through, like, it's very, very hard. And they want to teach them that resiliency. And I think that goes a long way because hockey is, is not easy when you get to the higher levels. Like, you have to manage your time um, with school. You have to manage your time, your social life. You have to manage your time with hockey and your family. And they throw a lot at those kids, but um, they're doing an unreal job of teaching them how to handle with that stuff. That's yeah, a fine line at that age, you know, like 13 to 20, b- between, like, being ready as re- 100% prepared to play in a game or – do you work out four or five days a week, super hard, and maybe you've got 90% in the tank for the weekend, but what is that? It's teaching you mental toughness, Yeah. but is that opening you up for injuries? If you're too, you obviously got to balance it in a way that you're not too tired to be playing. Like that's the big thing is you have to find that balance within your own body and within your own team and your own organization and stuff like that. But if you truly want to get better, like putting these kids in hard situations, will teach them mental toughness will teach them resiliency, both physical and mentally. So as long as it's done right, I mean, there's a reason the program churns out absolute studs in the show. It's not an accident. I don't know why everyone doesn't just copy that blueprint for their older teams or, or scale it down for their younger teams. When you're at the AAA level talking about kids who really want to try and do something in hockey. Yeah. Well, even look at it. Ryan Hardy, who we had on here is kind of doing that model with the steel right now. And uh, everybody thought that they were going to suck at the beginning of the year, and they got blown out in uh, in the festivals, or not the festivals, but the showcases at the beginning. And now they're in the USHL finals. You know, yeah. Do do the showcases in the beginning for the league mean anything? No. You know what I mean? Like again, he was he was doing things that at the time, like those showcases, as far as like winning and losing, they mean nothing the first few games of the season, like, yeah, you want to win them. But like in the end, like really five games out of the year, the first three weeks, they don't, they don't really mean anything as long as you're moving towards getting better every day and getting better in the long run. So like it, it it's just a micro, um, cause them like a little, a little miniature look at one season of one team, but it just, it completely makes sense. It's all about development. Are you going to be better in a month? Are you going to be better in six months? Are you going to be better in a year? That's just got to keep going in that direction you know, uh, that's just my personal philosophy. Well, yeah, it's about getting better. Like if you're way better in March than you were in September, then you're going to, you know, you're going to have a pretty good shot at winning. You know, if you focus on the, the short term winning all the time and you don't make your kids or your team better, like it's, you're not going to win in the end. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like you, you think about a, a different way to look at it. Is you think about all those kids that we grew up with at, you know, whatever, 10 to 13, 10 to 14, that were nasty. They were head and shoulders above everybody. They were so good. Everybody's like, they're going to the NHL. It's because the kids went through puberty first. And what happened, what happens to some of those kids? They rely on that. They're so much better that they think it's just always going to be that way. So those are the kids that don't work out, don't really have to try that hard. And all of a sudden when, when guys like you and me start going through puberty and start finding out about training and doing all these ancillary things on the outside to make us better hockey players. Now we catch up and we pass them because we were trying to develop every single day. Whereas they just shot up and then just kind of stayed the same, stayed stagnant. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Well, let's talk about one of your buddies that, you know, was, was, we'll call him a late bloomer. Um, and what a night he had the other night, Pat Maroon for the blues. 
um, you know, a guy you've trained with and skated with in the summers and stuff, another St. Louis guy. Like, as a St. Louis guy, how cool was it to see him um, score that game-winning goal to send them to the next series in Game 7 and then also kind of seeing the videos the next day of, of how cool uh, it was where his kid was, like, crying in the stands. And it just, I mean, what a moment. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And, you know, that none of that is for show. Like, Patty and his son are so effing close. And, like, when we when I was still playing and I would skate with the boys out in the summer, all the pro guys and college guys together, he'd always bring Anthony out. And they'd be, he'd be, you know, wheeling around during drills. And we would just kind of watch out for him. And then in between drills, we'd pass him some pucks. And he'd shoot on the goalies. And, you know, he'd shoot on Joseph Wall. And he'd shoot on, like, you know, Tyler Parks and these pro goalies we have in STL. And, and uh, it was really fun seeing that. And, and and Patty just loves his son so much, and, and and he loves his dad. And it's just very cool. And it's really cool for you know a St. Louis kid to be able to do that. Um, and the year that Patty had in the first half, you know, he had a pretty tough first half. And then the second half, he just started lighting it up. And his brother Phil said the whole time, like, just wait, he's a second half player. Like, you know, now that they got the new coach, he's going to get going. And like, look what happens. He's tearing it up in playoffs. So it's no surprise at all. He's a big game player and, and he likes to be around the net. So that's what happens when you go to the net, you get rewarded. Yeah. Yeah. That was really cool. I mean, game seven was, a, I think, double overtime in his hometown, playing for his hometown team in front of his kid, like it doesn't get much better than that, especially for a good dude too. Yeah. And and I'm in a group chat with his brother and a bunch of other, like, uh, you know, ex hockey players in St. Louis that skate together during the week. It's up bluesers. And, uh, his bro told us after the game in the chat that right before the second overtime, Patty said in the locker room, like dream big boys, like let's dream big, like let's do this. And then he goes out there right away and buries. So pretty exciting. Very happy for Pat. He's uh he's an unbelievable guy. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Another guy I want to give a shout out to Yoki Ryan with the San Jose Sharks. Uh coached him at uh Cornell, Unreal Defenseman. So they moved on to the next round uh as well. So would love to see him win a cup. Just an unreal defenseman and uh, a really good kid too. So um, yeah, these next couple series are going to be awesome. Carolina, Boston, St. Louis, San Jose. It's uh, playoff hockey in the NHL never seems to disappoint, does it? If you watch any of it, <laughs> I'm pretty busy. But yeah, it's I mean it's it's super exciting, man. Like you know, obviously I want St. Louis to win for my buddies and for the city. I also have always loved Jumbo Joe Thornton. I think that he kind of revolutionized the game the way that that he played it below the goal line. And I love, you know, if I'm watching a Sharks game, like I'm just staring at Joe's eyes because you just see like where he's looking, but he'll be deceptive with his body. He'll look one way, he's passing the other way. I mean, for a guy that big to be that like graceful and smooth on the ice, he's so fun to watch. Yeah, his nails. Yeah, it'll almost be like I don't know if it'll be quite a Ray Bork moment if he wins it and if San Jose wins, just because like Sackick had already won the cup, you know, and like handed it off to him. Whereas Pavelski hasn't won a cup yet, so like he'll probably lift it if they win. But like it's going to be there's going to be a lot of his ex teammates because if you hear people talk about him like as a teammate, it's always just like that he's the best and like for him he's like a legend you know top what is he like top 10 15 overall in points in nhl history or something like that and like you hear stories of like him being the guy to pick up rookies from the airport or guys that get traded from the airport to go get him settled in and like how yeah he just opens up his house to people and it just you root for guys like that you know yeah 
pretty awesome. Pretty awesome, man. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, the last thing before we get over to Staz, wanted to ask you, you had your first Florida College Coaches Convention uh, down in Naples. How was it for you? It was awesome, man. I mean, first of all, it was awesome because I got to hang out with you actually in person and not just stare at you through a computer screen. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I was there with the Gel Sticks company. They, uh, they flew me out there and wanted me to talk to some of the, the, the college coaches and meet with them a little bit. And um, they're just a, a great group of guys, unbelievable company. I love the product, um, you know, so that was really cool getting to talk to all the schools. I think, I think Gel Sticks were in like 22 D1 schools right now, 17 NHL teams, six full rostered NHL guys have our sticks or so, something like that. Like very exciting but for me the big part was just seeing all these old people in the hockey world the college hockey world you know i i, I talked to the guy who was with the bruins who was there you know pushing product uh exos brant berglund and i talked to you know my old college coach and then i talked to guys that had scouted me and i went on visits to their schools and i didn't wind up going there you know talking to you talking to Derek whitmore a guy that i used to play against in juniors and pro and college like it was just like a, a meeting of the minds. I saw the Veda guys, uh, the CBD company I work with, you know, they live down there. So they're coming up to the, to the restaurant at the, at the hotel, talking all the different hockey guys. They know it's just so cool how small the, the hockey world is at the higher levels. And it was really exciting. And I got to see your presentation and I got to say, man, and I'm not just saying this cause it's you or I'm pumping your tires or we're on a show together or whatever, but like any teams out there, like looking to help their players, in a serious way should definitely reach out to Topher and talk to talk to him and find out a way to get him to talk to their team because your presentations, man, like it's everything I believe in that's up in my head that I probably can't articulate as well as you. And you, you just, you're such a good speaker and it was very exciting to get to watch you do your thing, man. I, I loved it. Well, thanks. Appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Now it's awkward, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Hey, just look into my eyes. It's only, <laughs> If you make it awkward, tell <laughs> What is that movie? Look into my eyes and say it. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> Look into both our eyes at the same time. Oh, yeah. What it. movie is that? Oh, my God. Saving Silverman. Oh, my God. Oh, jeez, Tolf. You should Duh. know that. Yeah. Uh, no, dude, the Florida convention's fun. Like, the guys always joke that it's, it's a lot of fun. Nothing ever happens. Nothing ever gets decided. Like, nothing gets done. But, um, it's good to see, good to see everybody. Like, those are guys, you know, like, it's, it's a little bit of almost like a fraternity, right? Like, you spend all this time on the road with these guys. You share, share planes, share cars, share meals on the road. You sit and you watch games with them and stuff like that. And, and, uh, you know, so you spend a lot of time with them and then uh, to, to get the chance to, to see everybody and reconnect, you know, again, I talked to again a lot of those guys on the phone and stuff, kind of like what we we're talking about, but to see people and shake their hands and give them a hug and all that is, is awesome too. So, um, awesome time down there. Um, not as good as this conversation that we had with Polly though. Uh, yeah. yeah, this conversation's awesome. <laughs> so, you um, should listen to all of it. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I want to thank Staz for coming on again. This was a lot of fun. And uh, without further ado, let's head it on over to Pauly Walnuts, Paul Stastny. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast one of the top players in the NHL, but he's an even better guy and a better friend, Paul Stastny. Stas, what's going on here today, man? Oh, Bex, thanks for having me on. I'm excited for this. 
Me too. Me too. And uh, right out of the gates, I just got to ask you, you know, growing up, you and Vex, best buddies, played AAA growing up together. Give me like your best, most embarrassing Jeff Lavecchio growing up story. Man, there's, there's so many. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I think Vex I think was talking about this on his last podcast. This is, this is no joke. This is probably, I don't know, seven years ago. We're all kind of playing pro. And we just, this is the time, like, midsummer, we're all going to the bar and, like, whatever, just have, like, a drink or do nothing crazy because it was a Wednesday night. And Vex wasn't kidding, where, like, he'd pull out, like, a whole thing of, like, turkey slices, a banana, and a protein shake. And he's like, every three hours, man, every three hours, like, consistent. I was like, and you know what? We ripped on him, and he talks about it. We ripped on him big time, but he's laughing now. I think, you know, he's almost, like, ahead of his time where he's, like, diet and nutrition was such a big thing where, like, to me, that – that never really happened until the last four or five years, like for me at least, or for, for, you know, the game of hockey has really changed a lot. And, you know, some guys take a lot of heat for it, but I think, he, you know, he took it in a good manner. But that one, and then there's another one where Silvex and I played together in Omaha. I think it was River City at the time. But we'd always drive together games to talk about us being superstitious. Like win or lose. If we won, we'd always do the same thing. So Vex would always kind of drive with the morning skates, and I'd always drive to the games. And all winter, like we're having an unreal season. So, We'd get in the car right away. We'd turn our heat warmer on. And, like, by the time we got to the rink, it was on fire. <laughs> we were both rocking we we're both rocking these leather coats that we thought were awesome. And then <laughs> yeah, we like, did. Yeah. And then we're playing in, like, springtime playoffs, and nothing changed. We're like, well, we got to wear the same coat, and we got to have the heat warmers on. So oh, no. Warmers. So all of a sudden, Bex is, I mean, by the time we got to the rink, we're just dripping sweat. <laughs> but, hey, if we won, we stuck with it. So, it wasn't, uh, I wouldn't say it was superstition, it was, it was just a matter of routine, and that's what that's what hockey life's all about. Hey, well, first of all, your first story, um, yeah, not everyone had to do that because you had talent. I had to do anything <laughs> I could, so that's why I was carrying around deli meat like it was my J-O-B. Uh, secondly, yeah, it's so true. Toph. we would literally listen to the same, and we're talking CDs here, by the way, we'll date ourselves. We listen to the same CDs, like the same songs in the same order on the way to every game, like Eminem outcast after every game. The first song we're putting on is Nelly air force ones. Only air if force we won, one. we, we weren't allowed to listen to it unless <laughs> we won the game. It was awesome though. Good times, man. Oh, and that's... then I had the jet, remember I had the Jetta, you would just crank it, the whole car would be shaking. It's like one thirty in the morning, we just got back from the road and if we lost we always listened to mess. Yeah, like the most yeah. depressing song. We're like, yeah, okay, we'll be ready for tomorrow. <laughs> Dude, to this to this day, every time I listen to that song, I think about us just like sitting in the car, being like, God, Hastings is gonna bag us tomorrow. <laughs> oh man, we had some good Omaha stories, that's for sure. Yeah, we did. Good times. Uh, it's so funny hearing all you guys like because we've had a few other Omaha guys on here and just like hearing the Hastings stories and I can just hear it in your guys' voices. That's like going to a place that was like so hard but so good all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, but dude, also at the same time, Staz, I mean, we had the same experience, but we also had the same experience on slightly different levels. I mean, Staz should have won. Uh, the junior hockey player of the year, his second year, my, or our second year when we were seniors in high school. Um, I don't know. I'm sure Staz remembers this because he remembers everything. He's Statsny. He's not Stasny. He's Statsny. <laughs> he's called him. But 
you know, it came down to the last game and it was Staz and his line mate, Mike Howell from Minnesota that were tied for like the lead league in points and, uh, how he got a phantom assist in the last game. And like right after the season was over, he got named junior player of the year. Cause he beat Staz by one point. And you know, obviously I was rattled cause you know, I was Staz, you know, one of his best friends and it's just too funny. Like, yeah, we, we definitely had different experience. I got treated a little differently than Staz got treated. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. But we both came in together. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, we both came in together. We were 16. We're sitting at the front of the bus. So like, we had the worst seat. We're literally right behind Hastings. So every time we won, like, you'd hear the beer. Like, he'd crack a beer or two. And then if we lost, I remember one time we lost, we got spanked. And he was all about like, if you work hard and lost, he didn't care. But if you, you know, if we had a bad period and just like it seemed like no one was trying hard. He's like, all right, you guys didn't work for me for 20 minutes, so you owe me 20 minutes, you know, on Monday or Tuesday. And that was his whole kind of way of thinking. So I remember one time we had Subway, and we had like a three-hour bus ride home from Waterloo. And Hastings literally looked at me and vexed, and we're about to take a first bite. He goes, I wouldn't eat that if I were you. And then just like turned around. And Vex was like chewing a sandwich. He's like, just spit it back out. He's like, oh, man, we're going to get rent. Because he was all about, you know, because then we get back to the rink, and sometimes – He'd, like, make us run stairs, or sometimes we just do, like, I mean, a couple of times we literally put our equipment on and we wait for him. And one time we waited for an hour, and then we had our captain go to the coach's room, and he left. Like, he made us put his gear on, and then he just left, and we didn't see him, and he didn't tell anyone. And we sat there basically till like, 4 in the morning. And someone's like, dude, there's no one even here anymore. Uh-huh. Like, he just played these, like, mental mental games with you. But as much as anything, and you guys will attribute to this, it's, it's like the – we could share like all the good stories about him. That's not fun to talk about. It's all about like the, the tough times that you remember and like it made you stronger, it made you better out of it. And there's only whatever, four or five, six times a year. And you know, everyone goes through it, but those are ones that are like, you know, brings everyone closer together. Cause nothing better than just complaining about like your coach or someone else like this. It kind of brings the team together with a closer bond. Well, let me ask you this Daz, then, because you know, uh, Something like that happened recently to one of our mutual buddies, Weidman, when he was playing in the NHL this year. Obviously, I'm sure you know he got caught talking about his coaches in the Uber um, with his teammates. For anyone that plays the game, they're like, oh, that's not a big deal at all. We all talk about our coaches, you know, in a negative and a positive way. But like you said, it's kind of easier and more fun to kind of, you know, chirp and laugh about things. And, you know, it's, it was taken so out of context and people blew it out of proportion. And that Uber driver is an absolute scumbag for putting somebody's private conversations online. What do you think about that? Well, yeah, I mean, that's just a joke. And, like, so so many people were, like, asked about that. And coaches, like, former players that got it. I mean, a couple of coaches came out and said, like, man, if you don't think, like, the coaches and management sit there and, like, you know, bitch and moan about certain players after games, like, you're out of your mind. Like, we do the same thing about players and players do the same about coaches. It doesn't matter. It's just, like, you know, everyone does it, especially after a loss or after a win or something like that. I think now in today's society – it just, it's unfortunate because we never had to deal with that stuff. Like when we were in high school or we we're in college, even like my first couple of years pro, there was no like social media. There was no digital, like everything was on digital camera. So like you were actually trying to take pictures to like, you know, have these good memories. And now it's just like there's pictures and cameras everywhere. So in a sense, you know, I feel bad for them, but like, I think everyone understands, like everyone does it. But now every time we step in an Uber or every time we step in a Lyft or a cab, like, it's crazy. Like we all set our phones, which I hate, but at the same time, I like, I'd rather do that and no one say anything because there's always a camera and they're always kind of asking you questions. And 
there'll be times where we take a cab or an Uber to the rink, you know, for morning skate, we'll go before the bus. And we're just talking all of a sudden, like this happened uh, recently like, during playoffs. Uber, Uber guys like, Hey, are you guys hockey players? And we're like, yeah. And then it just got quiet. Like we quit telling stories. It was like, cricket <laughs> for like four minutes. you know, cause like it just takes one, it takes one thing and obviously it blows over, but it's just, it's just unfortunate it happens, and that's the society we live in. That's too funny. I mean, I'm a nobody, and I was a nobody, but whenever I would go to a restaurant or a bar or whatever, and you know, people would ask me or girls would ask, what do you do? I would always be like, I'm a professional ping pong player. <laughs> that, was always, that was always my answer. I thought it was freaking hilarious. Did the girls think yeah, it was like, hilarious or no? Well, have you seen me? They liked it. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. It's hard though because like you always tell, you always you always tell yourself this you're like oh I'm gonna have like a nice code name too and then like you know you have a couple of drinks and they ask you you buckle on the picture like uh I don't know what do you do <laughs> and then they like eventually they, they like figure it out I'm like uh yeah I, I play something it's because like you're walking around with 20 other guys and it's like I mean we couldn't stick out anymore like you know yeah. Haley, my wife will look around and we'll just walk by someone she's like I guarantee you that's a hockey player like at the airport she's like you guys all kind of like walk the same and have the same builds and it's just like I could pick you guys out from anywhere. It's so true. No teeth, big butts, confidence. Yeah, it's just hockey. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Well, Staz, we really appreciate you coming on the podcast here, and uh, I think it would be awesome to kind of have your, your or have our listeners kind of hear your story of, of growing up in St. Louis and, and how you got to where you are. And uh, I think one of the most interesting things that not a lot of people can probably empathize with, but I think it'd be really cool to ask you about, is the fact that you know your dad was an NHL Hall of Famer. Um, and it's also one of the biggest trivia questions I always trip people up on is who is the second leading scorer in the 1980s behind Wayne Gretzky? And uh, it's, you know, people are like, you know, they guess like the Lemuse and the Eisermans and the Francis's and stuff. But the, the second leading scorer in the 1980s was, was Peter Stastny. And so I wanted to ask you, what was that like growing up uh, with your dad, you know, being such a big hockey star? And, and what kind of effect did that have on you growing up? Yeah, I mean, it was, I wouldn't change it for the world, obviously, but. Uh, my dad's like really good, um, like very humble, hardworking, and yeah, he might have like this, you know, woody, dry sense of humor, like arrogance to him sometimes. But that's only when he's around people; he's really comfortable. He does it in like a joking manner. <laughs> but you know, at, at times, it was, I thought it was tough because you know, Vex would probably was in the car a few times or months was there. Different guys, like we, in a sense, like I think like he does, or he, you know, because obviously we're the same. We're like I think of all the kids like me and my dad are most similar like my you know myself compared like my brothers probably got similar attributes to my dad and some to my uncle or like I'm closest with my dad so there'd be times we'd play a game um, and we'd win like three one and I had a goal but I had like no chances I didn't play good but I was like oh I scored a goal I was excited and he wouldn't say anything and after the you know afterwards we get in the car we'd always be driving home and this is a classic pistol I call my dad pistol like pistol Pete so this is a classic <laughs> pistol story he would always he'd always uh, it was very rational. He'd always like think about what he was going to say. So like 10 minutes, he wouldn't say a word. And all of a sudden, like he turned down the music and I was like, Oh, here it comes. And he would use a rear view mirror as like the ice drink. And he'd be like, he's like, Hey, do you remember this play in the second period? And I knew what was coming to it. It was always like every little play. And I don't know if this is like the hockey sense we have, like every little play in a game, I can pick out exactly what happened, especially if I was involved in it. And he'd always bring up this stuff. And I was like, man, he's never like, Hey, nice goal. Like good win. But really like he understood it. And I think he was more about, like, I want you to, to have fun, but, like, I want you to be producing chances all the time. He's like, it's not about scoring goals or getting assists. Like, if you're playing the right way and, like, you're constantly, like, 
getting better and you have good habits, that's what he cared about. And I think sometimes when I was younger, I was like, man, he doesn't appreciate anything. And he did. I just, you know, for the hundred compliments he gave me, like the one um, constructive criticism, that's all I listened to. And I was like, man, he doesn't tell me anything. So then my mom on the other side would be like, oh, great game. Like you scored. Like, we lose like 10 when I scored. I'm like, oh, I had a good game thinking it was good. You know, and as I got older, I realized like, no, it's not about that. It's about um, like enjoying myself and like having those good habits. Cause I think for him, it's like, okay, what's going to take you to the next level? It wasn't about like, okay, what's the best you can do now? Like for him, it was always like, you know, how can you develop as a player and as a person and as a teammate? And to me, um, that's where I was really fortunate. And there are certain guys that obviously didn't have that. And, you know, the parents taught them different things, but they didn't know too much about hockey. So a lot of my teammates uh, would always go to my dad and ask different things. And they loved it, you know, because they wouldn't get it as much. But, you know, I think when you're around, you're, you always think your parents are negative to you. You know, and you think every other's parents are like the most positive people, but that's just that's just the way you grow up. You only try to, you know, you block out all the good stuff. You only listen to one bad thing or one constructive thing that they said. So, um, as I got older, I really came to appreciate a lot more. And, and and now, even today, like we still talk, and it's the same thing. I think he he watches me so much and knows my game so much that, um, you know, when I am playing good, like that's when he really gets worried because then all of a sudden, like you get a little comfortable and you might do something early in the game and then shut it down. And he doesn't like that where it's almost better when you're playing back. Cause then all of a sudden you realize like, man, this is kind of like uh like when I'm playing good, it's almost like a mirage. Like maybe I'm not playing as good and I'm picking up points, but that's not, that's not a way to be like su- successful long-term. Love that. That's, that's great. And you know, Toph and I always talk about that. Like you can't just look at points, just getting points. Doesn't mean you're doing all the right things. You're doing things that get better. Um, you know, like the first thing I say to kids when they come back from the weekend, you know, how'd you play? And the first thing they tell me is how many points they got. I said, I didn't ask you how many points you got. I said, how did you play? And I think that anyone that's ever watched you, Paul and Toph knows this, obviously, and Toph was the exact same way is, is that you both, both of you make everyone around you better. And I think that's a, a sign of a very good player. And then you ask anyone in the NHL, anyone that's ever played with Staz, it's whether he's getting points or he's not, he's making every single guy on the ice better through how he plays. I don't even understand it. Like I, I literally can't think at that high a level of how he sees the game and the way that he'll position his body so that it makes everyone around him uh, easier to play the game. But Staz, I want to ask you this because I was there for a long time, you know, double A hockey, triple A hockey, junior hockey uh, playing with you. And, you know, I definitely always thought your dad was hard on you. And looking back on it, like I understand what you're saying about your dad and I totally get it. And, and also it has to be hard for him being as good as he was like the second best player in the NHL for 15 years. It's gotta be hard to watch your son and not get overly critical and stuff, but comparing how he treated you after games and talked to you and all those things, if you have a son or a daughter and they play hockey, will you act the exact same way? Do you think that your dad did in the car or will you approach it differently? Yeah, no, I would do it the exact same way, but he didn't, like I said, I think his angle was never for me to make it to NHL. I think for me, and you guys talk about this a lot on your podcast. I think we just, it was all about having fun and doing as many activities as possible. And the summers, you know, the summers we never would skate and then we'd go maybe like camp in Minnesota or Quebec or something like that. But a lot of times like we played a lot of soccer, a lot of tennis, you know, just a lot of running, just like enjoyed it just because you're around the rink so much, especially as you get older. Um, and then it was like, okay, like maybe what's the next step. And I think, you know, when, when, when I got to juniors, 
you know, you really make these big leaps. So like for my first year junior, second year junior, I made a big jump like physically, mentally. And then same thing for my freshman year in college to my sophomore year, I made a huge jump. And then it wasn't really till then that I was thinking like, okay, now I got a shot in the NHL. Like he never brought that up once. It was never to him. It was, to him, it was, I think he could see that I had like the hockey IQ. So he's like, he saw like potential and what could be. And then he's like, okay, well, like I can see like there's potential here. So like we can do different things. And, um, he was really good at, at critiquing the game at the right time. It wasn't every game. It was just like here and there, like when it needed to be said, you know, I think if, if he saw it and it became a habit, that's when he would say it. If there was something small here or there, like, you know, he wouldn't say much. And I think he always knew too. He's like when I was, emo- you know, especially when you're dealing with younger kids, you know, younger version of myself, you're, you're always very emotional about yourself and, and you think you're secure, but you're really insecure about yourself and you don't want to hear anything negative, but um, he didn't say it in a negative way. He just said it in a way that, would make me, you know, a, a better player, a better person in the long run. Yeah, that's so interesting. And the, it's like, I think about like kind of our upbringing and how much different it would be if we were in the environment of like youth hockey today. And you no, know, like thinking about even both of you guys, you know, I, I, because the USHL draft just happened this week, right? So we didn't even have a USHL draft. It was completely different back then. You know, you were kind of. No, I was drafted. In the USHL? I was drafted. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. And, but Hey, real was, quick, let was, me just, let me interrupt that story was, because these kids that I train were like staying home, wanted to stay home from their workout to like watch the draft. And I was like, huh? It's the USHL draft. Like, <laughs> what? Like, and is it a big deal? Yeah, it is. It's awesome. But it's like, does like, it doesn't, you got to go to camp and make the team. Like this isn't the NHL draft. Like you just got to get better every day. Like don't, it don't, they, they get so hyped up and nervous. And if they don't get drafted, I see the look on their faces and I'm like, who gives a shit? Like you get drafted. Awesome. You don't get drafted. Awesome. Prove them wrong. Like who cares? Sorry, Toph, go ahead. It's <laughs> all right. But it's just like, it's so different today. And like, you know, both of you guys were kind of like, you know, we've talked about this before, but kind of like natural bloomers. You weren't early bloomers, you know? So like, at 14 and 15 and even 16, like, you know, you two guys both signed NHL contracts as you've obviously had an awesome NHL career, but like, you know, who would have predicted that aside from the people that really knew you at, at 15, 16 years old. So, you know, in terms of that stuff, like the USHL draft just happened again, like same thing. Like I'm talking to kids and families right now that are like dejected because they weren't drafted at 15. Right. So Staz, like for you, you know, growing up, not being kind of like the guy at 15, 16, maybe even 17, actually 17, you were kind of like the guy, but you know, how did you kind of go through that? How did you kind of stay through your process? And was your dad and kind of like your family and brother having gone through it, gone through it too? How did they kind of help you go through those years? Yeah, well, it was nice because I had my brother who was three years older than me and he was always kind of like the guy I looked up to, like him and my dad, obviously are my two closest mentors, I guess, and guys that I looked up to. But for my brother, it was easy because he was always, like, three years older. So, like, when he left, you know, St. Louis to go play junior A, he had to leave He had to leave school and go to, like, Parkway Central for a year, play for the Sting, and then he went to Omaha. So then I was always like, okay, that's kind of like the stepping stone for me is I like, kind of see what he did. Then he'd go to college and, and different things like that. But so we got, you know, Yanni played in uh, Omaha. And I, think, I don't know if he was drafted. He might have been tendered or something. Um, and then I got tendered in Omaha. So what I – they might have had a draft back. So I'm, you know, I don't know too much about that. Cause back at the time there was tenders, right? You could sign like there's like two or three guys could tender to each team. Yeah. So basically, like we didn't have, we didn't have to deal with that stuff. But there was one time, 
as Vex will remember this, it was the first year AAA happened in St. Louis. We didn't, a lot of us didn't play yet because it wasn't established. So I think months, months played AAA that first year, but um, me and Vex, like we stayed with our, with our double A team or like kind of all did our own thing. I think we stayed in Creep core. And then the second year it, it became more established and all like the good local guys decided to try out for the team. And everyone knew everybody in St. Louis. So like everyone knew he was going to make it. And this was the first time they gave like these contracts. So at the tryout, there was, if there was like 20 guys made the team, they gave out these first contracts to like the first 13 players. And I remember like all our buddies were getting it and I didn't get it. And then the trial went on for like another day or two. And I remember my dad, like, you know, that's my dad, like talked to Scott Sanderson. He's like, he's like, almost like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, do you not see like what I see? So I was like, no, he's, he's got a good shot. He's just like, you don't even get that first contract yet. Like, like my that old man, like couldn't believe it. And then I got offered like a second contract. So I ended up making the team and you guys all got to pick your numbers first. So my first year at AAA, I was wearing number three. I'm like, this is a, what? <laughs> Yeah, what are like a D-man's number here or whatever. Then, you know, I, th- I think it's the same thing because I was never like the flashiest guy. So there's just, there's some players that are super skilled, one-on-one flashy sell jerseys. And then there's some players, you know, that aren't flashy. And, you know, like if you look at the NHL, you look at like, like Krejci or Baxter. I'm like, these guys aren't the flashiest guys, but they're really good players. And they put like quietly, like quietly Baxter was going to put up a thousand points and I know people talk about him a lot, but he doesn't get like the recognition he should get. But something like that. So it's like the playmaker, for some reason, might not be the fastest guy or might not have the hardest shot. But we did the little things right. But at the time, I think, you know, Scott was new to it. And then as the as season went on, then, you know, everything kind of took care of itself. Where like we're, you know, all the guys that I thought were the best players were all playing the top minutes. So I remember like that was the one thing, the one time that happened. And then a lot of those times, like my dad's like, well, who cares? Like everything kind of, you know, his big thing was, like the cream rises to the top, you know, everything takes care of itself. So, you know, if you know you're better than these guys, like it's always going to happen eventually. There's always like politics are involved or if different parents, you know, donate more to the team or buy ice time more, like there's kid might play more, but like, you know, when push goes to the shove and, you know, games get more important, like the players that they trust are always the best players. And that was always the big thing for my dad. And it still is. And, you know, every time I've played a new team in the NHL, like sometimes, you know, you might be start. You know, you might start with like a couple line mates, and you might be upset about it. But you realize that it's a long season, and sometimes we we're so worried about micromanaging and so worried about like what happened today, and so worried about like, oh my God, I'm playing with this guy tonight. Like, it doesn't matter. You know, your seasons are six plus months long. Like, eventually, like you're gonna look back in a month and not even remember like that one week that was just miserable where you weren't playing the minutes you thought you should have been playing. And I think that's where my dad's done a good job of just. Um, he looks at the big picture, you know, especially when he's not playing. I always looked at the little picture and I've tried to like kind of back away a little bit and just kind of take it in hand and, and, and know that sometimes stuff like that will like, you know, it gives you like a kick in the butt and kind of wakes you up a little bit. But if you just kind of stick with what you're good at, like just focus on what you can do and not really worry about others, not worry about who you're playing with, but just, you know, be the best like version of yourself, then everything takes care of itself. I love that Staz. And that, that brings, I love that you said, you know, like kind of take a step back. I was on the plane on the way to Naples to see Tolf last week. Um, I was there with the gel sticks crew and uh, plug what's up. And 
I was watching this documentary about Bill Murray and Staz. You would love this thing. I can't remember the name of it. Oh, I've, but I, I've, I've, yeah, I've seen, I've seen it. Oh, you've seen it. Okay. Like Bill Murray told, he's unbelievable. He's the best guy oh, ever. Yeah. He just like shows up at like random places and like does these really cool things. And he seems like I didn't get to finish a documentary because the plane landed, obviously thankful for that. But, um, you know, like it, it, he's like, so like, Buddhist and like it's all he's all about like the big picture like people were upset something's going on and he's like does it matter does it and it's like oh no like today's gonna be over it doesn't matter and it's so interesting to hear Paul talk about that and how his dad treated him and what I wanted to say earlier is like this is an NHL Hall of Famer one of the best players to ever play in the NHL and he's you know watching his son play and like Paul said, never was he like, you got to do this to make the NHL, Paul. You got to do this. We're going to make – it was just like get better every day. Get better every day. And that's how Mr. Stasny P- Pistol treated Paul. And it's like all these parents of these kids who don't have even one one millionth the talent that Paul Stasny has is they're like talking to their kids about the NHL and about going D1. And it's like, no, that's how you get them all nervous and riled up and excited and dejected and let down when things don't happen. If you just focus, parents, on helping your kids get better every single day, 1% better every day. Just like Paul said, the cream will rise to the top. Just keep focusing on having fun, getting better, and that's how you get that's how you will raise rise up through the levels. Don't it's not it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. Well yeah, yeah two, two yeah, and I think one thing where he was good at and I I didn't do it is especially uh like college years or first couple of years pro or you know, basically like in my early twenties or like all twenties is like you'd understand this is like I'd be hurt or, you know, I'd get back from somewhere like, and I'd be traveling all day and be so exhausted. I'm like, I got to work out today. I got to work. I can't miss it. And my dad's like, no, he's, he'd be like, you don't have to do it. It's like, it's only one day. Like you'd rather let your body recover and then like be better tomorrow instead of just being so tired and like kind of trying to like force it. You know, I think sometimes you're younger. You're just like, you're just so focused on like just doing this or doing that. And he was, he was all about like, kind of like diversify, like, you don't have to do it so much. Like the one day is not going to, not going to kill you. Like if you, if you can't work out cause you're traveling or something, like do something to like get a little active or get the blood flow going. And then tomorrow is like, you'll be fine. But I think when you're younger, sometimes you're like, I got to do this three times a week, or I got to skate four times a week. And then if you miss one, like you think you're going to lose an edge, but really it's not because you've built these habits for, you've been doing your whole life or your whole year or whole summer that, you know, if you do like have one day off, like it's, you know, it's like if you have the best day, the next day doesn't mean you're going to be even better. And if you have your worst day, it doesn't mean the next day you're going to get worse. It's just, you know, the next day is like a new day, a new challenge. You just kind of treat it like that. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And the other thing that you kind of talked about there, and uh, I was able to text with a couple of your former college coaches in uh, Steve Killer Miller and Seth Apper today trying to get a little dirt on <laughs> you before uh, beforehand. And actually one of the things that they said um, about you that they loved about you so much is like how much you loved other sports. Like, because, I mean, you know Killer. Killer's all into, you know, the UEFA and, and, and stuff like that. And you grew up playing a lot of soccer and you grew up playing a lot of tennis. You know, do you, do you kind of attribute that kind of lifestyle and, and to kind of how, how much you became a, a good hockey player as well? Yeah, I think so. And I, and I think you really see it now. And I think you see it with, uh, yeah, and I don't know if that's like just, you know, that's probably like the European background, like I said. And, and, and I think my, you know, my dad just was so like, you don't want to overtrain in one thing. And I think, I think that's why you did other sports to help your agility, to help your like uh, reaction time, to help your hand-eye movement, just different stuff like that. Cause if you do everything, it's just, 
stationary or, or controlled, then it, then you're never going to get better at, at different things, you know. So soccer, tennis, to us, where it's just it's just about doing something else. And at the same time, it's like, you know, in a sense, you know, the top playmakers in soccer are like centermen and, and hockey, and then and tennis. The way people, you know, the top tennis players to me, I watch them play. It's like you could tell the way they read it. Their agility is so good, but just like footwork, little things like that, and. You know, I don't know in what way it, it helps you, but at, at one ending, I think it just helps you with uh, maybe like injuries than anything, you know, because you're doing different things. So you're working different muscles and you're not just doing the same kind of workouts or functional, like same up and down bilateral movements all the time. You're doing stuff that's just out of the norm. And I think in hockey, because hockey is like that, hockey is, is you're constantly moving, you're putting yourself in different positions. So um, I think more than anything, it, it, it helps out with injuries. And um, I still do it now and I, and I love it too because it, it's fun and it's it's a good workout and you know Vex will appreciate this. You always get a nice tan, get that vitamin D in you in the summers, <laughs> take your shirt off, and, and you can do it. And no, you know, no one's yelling at you because you're outside all the time and you're outside. I think you know too much. You're inside all the time, and I think the more you're outside, you're just you're enjoying everything, and it just it helps your mental state as well. Yeah, it's, Staz, hold on, really hold on. Tr- I got I got to say something real quick, Staz. So you're talking about the shirts off type stuff. You must be oh. a really, really, really special guest because Jeff actually has a shirt on right now, um, <laughs> as as we're doing this conversation. So I just had to fill that in there, Jeff. Go ahead. <laughs> doesn't doesn't happen often, but it's literally because the AC is just too cold in my house, so it has nothing to do with these tests. You're not that important. No, um, uh, oh, I was just gonna say, like, I totally love that. I mean, it, you know, it's good to change up the scenery. Like, you know, Staz and I both like we like routine, and I'm sure you were the same. Tolf. like, we had our routines. I wouldn't call them necessarily superstition, but routines. But it's also good for your mental mental state, mental clarity, and just like training your brain to to do things outside the box every now and then I'll, my parents have a pool at their house in St. Louis. So I'll ask them, Hey, can I bring my kids over to your pool today? And you know, they'll set, they'll set out like vitamin waters for my guys or whatever. And we'll do like a pool workout. We'll run around their backyard and just to kind of change it up. And the guys ask for it every summer now, like, Hey, like, are we going to do those pool workouts again? Because it's just, you know, you're, you're out in the sun getting vitamin D you're changing up your training. You're still working your ass off in a different way. And it's just good every now and then to kind of hit the refresh button and do something fun. Yeah, and I talk about pool workout too. That's fun, and you don't realize how hard it is. Oof. But I love the pool workout too because I feel like it's all the little muscles, right? So if you have like a growing or knee or ankle stuff, like you get so much more um, like blood flow and movement in there, and it just it doesn't hurt as bad. To me, like that's a like one of the big rehab things is like the pool workouts. I feel like that helps out a lot in the long term. No, totally. And, and because it's, um, you know, there's not a lot of compressive force on your joints when you're in the pool, you're taking away, um, that force. So the one of the very few injuries I had in my career, other than my concussions, I slightly tore my MCL once and I did all pool rehab and I pretty much did the rehab on my own. Like I just rehabbed myself because I was in the coast at the time and you know, I didn't trust them, whatever. So I did it on my own. I did the pool every day and they told me it was going to be eight weeks and I was back in four and a half. So, um, you know, like try some different stuff out there. Don't see, be afraid to get sexy. See, I totally you disagree know what that, with you. you know, Go ahead, Stas. I was like, you know what the pool, I, what I like about the pool stuff is because you can kind of push yourself, right? Like if, if you really hurt, like you don't go hard at all. It's just, it's more about like getting, like any injury, I think the more blood flow you get in that spot, you know, the more like movement you get, like obviously it, it speeds up recovery. But I like doing that other stuff because, and it's changed now. Like it used to be a lot worse. I think when we were like juniors or college, you had an injury, like everything was just 
like you do the same three or four things in rehab. So then you come Ice back and, and you might have it. <laughs> yeah, you, but you but you might have like a, a knee brace on, or it would just be like forward and backward movements, right? So then you have a knee brace on, and then all of a sudden, like you tweak it. You would always tweak your knee, and you're like, oh yeah, that's normal. It can't get any worse. You're like yeah, but it's just it's in your head. Anytime you have these little movements, and all of a sudden, like you know, your your toe gets stuck in the ice when you're just crossing over. You don't realize it. it's the littlest thing, and all of a sudden, it tweaks it. And then all of a sudden you're thinking about it all the time that when you do the other stuff, and this is just a rehab standpoint, like that's why I like the pool stuff because I had an injury this year with the MCL and we did a lot of, like it's changed big time, but the more stuff you do, I got back on the ice. I never had like tweaks like I did when I hurt my MCL 10 years ago. And it's just crazy how much different the rehab has changed. Yeah, that's really cool. But I do have to say that you guys enjoy the pool workouts. I did not because we used to do these pool workouts at Cornell where we'd go in like the shallow end and we'd do some running. And like the shallow end was what, like three and a half, four feet of water. So like everybody else, like half their body is in the water. So like the water's up to their waist. And for me, the freaking water was up to like my shoulders. So they're like running through the shallow end, like it's no big deal. And I'm like huffing and puffing because I got to go through like the entire water. It was just like, oh my God. Yeah, it was the worst thing ever. So uh, if, if if you had a ba- if you had a bad coach, they'd be like they'd be like, why is Toe so slow? Like he's not trying at all, like not <laughs> exactly. realizing that just like yeah, some people are tolerance easier when told like your lower body or just your hips are underneath, but when it's like your whole body, it's a whole different thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'm a little bit scarred, a little bit scarred with the pools. But uh, Staz, we wanted to ask you because uh, you know you played two years at, at Denver University and and you won a national championship there. And I uh, kind of got a two part question for you. One is, you know, Apps wanted me to ask you um, why you took so damn long to commit to Denver, and uh, you made his mu- he made basically made his life miserable for for not saying yes right away. And uh, he was actually texting me that uh, one time when you guys were in Tri City, he actually walked you to the bus and put you onto the bus so no other college coaches could actually get a chance to talk to you after the game. So I thought that was a pretty pretty funny move. But so I wanted to ask you kind of about. Uh, uh, your experience getting recruited to Denver, and then what was it like winning a national championship, man? That, that must have been unreal. Yeah, like Denver is probably the best. I don't know, college, right? Everyone says like college is like the best time, and like I think it was like the funnest two years. You know, one of the funnest two years of my life, just because you're living on your own. You learn to like kind of grow up a little bit away from the ice, how to you know do laundry, cook meals, like pay bills, stuff, everyday stuff that a lot of people surprisingly don't know how to do. And, uh, you know, you meet a lot of like r- real friends there. Like when you leave college, you're like, you're still close with all these guys. So that part's cool. But, um, and that's just, I think that's just my dad. I think my dad, we've never, like I said, when I said he's very, uh, um, sometimes he's very slow to pull a trigger, you know, and, and that's, he always wants to take his time and, you know, be very calculated and, and take emotions out of it. So honestly, I, I probably knew I was going to Denver come, you know, November, December. After I went on my visit, I knew I was going to go there. But I went on a visit to Notre Dame, and I was going to go visit like Colorado College. I I end up I didn't end, end up doing that, but um, you know, like he you know, he's like, there's no rush. He's like, if they want you, they want you. They're not going to take that scholarship away. And I was like, yeah, that's a good point. You know, and I think eventually, yeah, I think I end up committing in February or January. Oh, it was pretty late, <laughs> but it was funny, like you said, because everyone committed so early, and then I'd be like playing against guys that are okay players. I'm like, man, this guy come in, this guy come in, and they would be signed like you know half scholarships or three for four deals. But it's the same thing. Like my dad, he's like, if the school really wants you, he's like, they're not going to lose that scholarship. You know, like you want to go somewhere where you're wanted, not where you want to go and, you know, where they don't really care for you that much because then you're not going to be in the best opportunity. So 
Denver to me, like the minute I went on my visit, and I was like best friends with Matt Carl, and he was a year older than me, so he went to Denver, and I didn't know too much about it. Like, and that's that's where everything's changed now because when we were younger, the only college games that were really on TV were kind of Frozen Four on ESPN two, and it'd always be kind of Maine, Boston College, Michigan, Michigan State, you know, UNH, North Dakota. So I didn't know much about Denver or Colorado College, and then obviously when Carl went there. It's, you know, you realize you're just influenced by your friends. And, you know, I trusted him a lot. He had nothing but good things to say. And then the, the coaching staff was awesome. Both those guys, Killer and Apps, were kind of like two different guys, two different personalities. <laughs> and I could just, like, click with both of them about different things. So it was awesome for me. So to me, that's why, you know, I, I was in no rush. But I could tell, like, they were, you know, they obviously were probably nervous about it. But, you know, I knew I was going there right after my visit. It was kind of a shoe-in, but. Make them wait a little bit. Make them sweat it out. <laughs> Playing hard to get. I like it. <laughs> yeah. But I think what I, you know, it's funny too when I committed is they were like, okay. They just, they had like, they started okay. And then they really were like a 500 team. And then I committed and then they went on, they got hot and they ended up winning a national championship there in 04. And like everything went right for them. And they, had, you know, they killed off a six on three to end the national championship game against Maine when one nothing. So all of a sudden, like, I came in there, we, we kind of had pressure, but we didn't have, we had a new goalie, we lost the senior captain, and, like, two big senior forwards. So basically, we are picked to finish, I think, sixth in the conference, and we started the season five and five, and then after that, we just, I don't know, we went on absolute heater, and basically went, like, 32 and three in the last 35 games. So we just, we just had such a good group of guys and a good mix of, um, like, older guys and younger guys. We had seven freshmen and seven seniors, or six seniors and one junior. So basically every line was kind of split up, and I think the coaching staff did such a good job of kind of like everyone, everyone had a role, and everyone knew what the role was. And I think because the team won it last year, they just all those older guys were like, man, we got to win. It's just you realize, especially college hockey, how hard it is because it's one and done. It just, it's fluky. Like we almost lost in the first game to Bemidji, and we're the one seed, and we won in overtime. And in my head, I was like, wow, if we can barely beat Bemidji in the round of 16, I'm like, we're not going to win this. And then all of a sudden, like, we found our groove and just kind of, you know, beat UNH, BTC, and beat North Dakota. But, um, yeah, like, you know, you win a national championship, you just you create this bond with these guys that you're forever going to have wherever you are, whether you win in, in, you know, at the lower level, you know, AAA, juniors, professional, you know, Olympics. You know, it's never going to go away. So, um, yeah, that, that year of college was fun, and there was just, you know, I was so young and then immature and just enjoying everything for what it was and then not realizing, not looking at anything at the outside except just what was going on at school. And that's where it was better now or it was better then because there wasn't stuff going on about, like, you know, who's going to sign here or what teams are interested in this. Like, no one talked about that. After the season, maybe, like, one guy might sign professionally. It was, like, it was never on anyone's mind. And then, you you know, you couldn't read stuff like that. And now it's I feel like it's halfway this season and you read about all these potential college free agents that are going to leave the minute the team loses or wins. And I feel like that becomes a distraction. Definitely does. I mean, I totally agree with that, but you know, that's the world we live in, but that's also why we're able to do this podcast. So, you know, I think, I think there's good and bad. And, you know, we had coach Gwazdecki on this podcast early on and it was super nice of him to come on. And I mean, what a guy, like, what a, what a great hockey mind, what a phenomenal leader and coach. And it had to be really fun playing for him. How, how would you say the difference in coaching styles are between like college hockey, division one, college hockey and the NHL? Like, what do you see as some of the major differences between those two? I don't like to me, the biggest, I, you don't realize you have a good coach or a bad coach until you've had a couple of good ones and a couple of bad ones. And then you're older, 
So all of a sudden, like, you know, you could ask me about, like, we had a good junior coach, college, like, when everything's going well, like, you're just out there playing. And then I think the one thing Guaz, like, kind of promised my dad and I when we signed was, like, I don't care if, you know, you're an 18-year-old freshman or a 25-year-old senior. Like, if, if you deserve to be out there, you'll be out there. He's like, that's how we've always done it. And, if, you know, we don't have politics here. And my dad was like, that was the only thing he, like, said to my dad. And he stuck with it, right? He's like a man of his word. And I think that's what my dad liked. He's a, he's a very, like, black and white guy, like, all about principles. And, um, you know, I, I don't even remember what kind of coaching style I had. Cause to me, it was just about, like, I remember just talking to him maybe a few times. And we talked, I think, early in the season. I was kind of struggling a little bit. I was, like, trying so hard to score. And he was like, he's like, Staz, he's like, don't – he's like, you're so worried about defense and this. He's like, just go out there. He's like, don't worry about trying to score. Just go out there and, like, be yourself and enjoy. He's like, we don't need you to be – mad that you don't score two goals and win the game this and that i think it just the way he said it, it was just it was a good one-on-one talk we're just kind of relaxing a little bit and after that i kind of just, it was like a big kind of spring for me throughout that season but um i, I think the best coaches to me are the, just the ones that can relate with the players because it, you can't coach um like you can't coach the top players the same way you coach you know, the bottom players or role players. The way, you can't coach a 50-goal scorer the way you coach, you know, a guy who doesn't score, but he's like the ultimate grinder and, and he does everything. You know, he's like the Swiss Army knife of the team. Like, I think it's all like it's such a mental game. And I think people don't realize that. And I think it's it's probably in everything, not just sports, but especially like the world-class athletes and the top professions. Like, the mental part of the game is bigger than anything. And I think you could have a – you could be the best player in the world. You could score 10 goals in a row, and all of a sudden you go two games without a goal, and it's crazy in your head. You're like, oh, man, I haven't scored two games. Like You like forget <laughs> everything. Like The ones that are strong mentally are the ones that are probably the, the ones that are most successful, I think, in life in general. And so the coaches that know how to deal with that mentally, know how to approach you, how to talk to you at different times, you know, like Vex, you're one of those guys that if a coach yelled at you, it would wake you up big time. If a coach yelled at me, like wouldn't bother me. But there's certain guys that's like, okay, I can't yell at you in public. Like, if I have a one-on-one meeting with you and tell you what I need out of you, then that'll, that'll kind of like wake you up. And all of a sudden, like that's how you, you have to relate to the players and almost be a psychologist. Yeah. We had, we had Adam Nicholas on. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him or if he works with any of the guys that you're playing with currently or in the past, but he's an NHL skills coach. Great guy outside the box thinker, you know, steps on some toes here and there for sure. But you know, he's passionate and I love his hockey brain and he had something very profound to say. He's like, you could be the, have all the best information in your head, but if you don't know how to teach it, like you're not going to be able to coach. So it's like almost like coaches should go to like teaching seminars, like find out from the best psychologists and the best teachers out there. How do you get this information across that you have that they can understand it? Because something that I learned is that it doesn't matter what I say. It's how you perceive what I say. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter what my message is. If you get a different message than what I'm sending, that's my fault. You know, I got to get you to understand whatever my message is as the captain, as the coach, as the leader. So I totally agree with you. And how, how would you say that? Um, have you noticed a, a shift in the way people are coaching from? I mean, what is this probably like your 12th year in the NHL, 13th, like from your first year till now, are you seeing a big shift in kind of that more type of coaching style as opposed to kind of uh, the Herb Brooks style that we had when we were younger? Yeah, well, I think the the ones that last the longest know how to adapt and then they've changed their kind of way of thinking. And then you also see like the younger generation of coaches now kind of coming in. And that's where I think assistant coaches play a big role too. 
So it's nice to have like an old school guy, but it's also nice to have like a like a former player that knows because then they can relate with the coaches and the players what you're going through, right? Because if if you have a coach that played the game 20 years ago and is trying to teach it the same way, like it's completely different. And when you have like a middleman that that kind of understands how it was back then and understands how it is now, like they can relate to different guys like that. So, um, like yeah, I mean it's just. It's like in any, in any business, are you constant? And it's going to change, right? In five years, ten years, you have to coach differently. And the ones that adapt to that are the ones that are going to still be around. And the ones that aren't, they're kind of like dinosaurs. They're kind of slowly kind of shift away, and then they'll bring kind of newer, younger faces. Yeah, for sure. Well, I want to kind of go back to what you were saying because you said it a couple times, Staz, and that's relate, like relatability. And and I think like for coaching and, and leadership in general, like the the best coaches and the best leaders, they can connect. They can find a way to connect with their players. And I feel like a lot of coaches nowadays, they focus so much on getting better when it comes to like the game of hockey, you know, like learning about the X's and O's and learning about, you know, different systems and, you know, how to exploit different things. When at the end of the day, I think the the biggest job of a coach is being able to connect with the players. So like a lot of coaches, they don't put that, like they think they're working hard because they're watching all this video. I shouldn't say they think they're working hard. They are working hard at like watching video and, you know, learning about hockey when like a big part of the job should be working hard at your relationships with your players, you know, learning what makes them tick, learning how to coach them, learning what has happened in their past and and things like that. And, uh, you know, I don't know, have you had, have you had many coaches that have really put a lot of time and effort into kind of like getting to know you as a person? And if so, like, how did you feel like that went? Um, you know what? I, I've never really, I don't have like, I'm not one of those guys who would talk to coaches a lot. To me, <laughs> I, I, I always felt like, no, I just, I felt like if I did it too much, I'm like, oh, am I sucking up to him? This or that. <laughs> but I think a lot, but I understand the game pretty well. So I think a lot of coaches kind of like understood that. And that's kind of what I was blessed with. So they would never really like talk to me too much. Cause a lot of times, you know, maybe my dad was that coach. Right. So my dad kind of would always kind of talk to me. So I kind of had him and he'd always like, teach me like different things of like what position to be in or, or different things after different games. But yeah, the coaches that you can talk to and like, and be comfortable around, like those are the best ones because um, more than anything, like, I, and this is like you said, relating or, or meant or kind of mental part of the game. If you watch on video, sometimes like there's plays that happen and you're like, well, what's he thinking? And I'm like, well, I could tell you what he's thinking. He was just out there for the last two goals. So he's probably still, you know, frustrated or mentally, you know, shut down from that play that like you shouldn't, or you just yelled at him on the bench two minutes before that. And I was on the bench when you yelled at him and all of a sudden you expect him to do something, right? So like different stuff, like that, you don't take account in the video. So that's why when you're on the bench or when you're on the ice, like you see so much more than you'd see on TV. And I think when you're around it a lot, it, it's, it's funny how one commentator see one thing and then I'll look at a player. And I'm like, well, no, I guarantee this is what's going on. Cause this is what happened. And like, cause you, you know, you're part of it, but the coaches, like you said, that relate to you that you can talk to then you're comfortable because then all of a sudden when they are saying positive things or negative things, you realize like they want what's best for you and you take it, you take it a lot, you accept it a lot better than if you don't talk to someone too much, you can't relate to them. And then they tell you something, then you're just like, oh, they're like kind of picking on me or do they want what's best for me? And the ones that have the good relationship with players, they, they want to see what's best for the players. Cause in turn, if the players are doing the best, what, you know, whether he likes the guys or not, the best coaches realize that if I can get the best of all my players, then we're going to be most successful. We're going to win. And then everyone's going to be having fun and everyone kind of, you know, everyone becomes successful when you have a winning team, no matter, um, you know, where you are in the depth chart, like everyone watches that and everyone tries to, you know, everyone kind of 
what's where I'm looking for. Like, you know, like when your best individual seasons is when the team does the best, no matter what. Yeah. And it's just always been like that. It's just, it, it's just funny how it works out because when you're winning, you're having more fun, you're playing better, you're looser, you're in a better mood, and it just happens to relate like that. Yeah, for sure. Well, we talked a lot about kind of like how coaching is changing, but the the game of hockey in itself has changed a, a ton, you know, from your first year in the league when you were like playing against Darian Hatcher every other night. And, and now you're playing against more like the Eric Carlson's every night. Um, how have you seen <laughs> That's the a little different <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, but like, how have you seen the game change? Like from a player standpoint and like for you, like how have you kind of changed or have you changed in like how you train and, and kind of how you go about getting better yourself as a player? Yeah, I think the biggest change, probably, oh yeah, like the speed of the game. Obviously, it's gotten younger, so like everyone can fly. Um, it, it doesn't. It doesn't mean like they're the smartest. Like it, some <laughs> nights it's harder, some nights it's easier, right? Because they they can fly, but they could be out of position, and all of a sudden, you know, if you play five on five D zone or O zone, those guys that are really skilled might struggle big time, and you might not notice them. But then, you know, if the ice opens up a little bit, they might be a little tougher to cover them. Um, I think like the just like the training, like you I'll work out like the college guys at Denver, you see the junior guys back, you know this too is like everyone now eats so good and has like no I feel like no one has a, like any baby fat on them anymore. We're like for us it's just like, oh that's that's how it was and as I got like twenty, twenty one, like I'd slowly trim it a little bit. But it's weird because now like I'm probably better shaped now than I was when I was twenty, but that's just because I've adapted to to what ha- needs to happen and like my dad's like, Oh you you know, you actually weigh five, ten pounds less. I'm like, yeah, but I'm I'm like stronger, I'm like faster, I feel better. But that's just how it is. If the game was the other way around, where it's like bigger, stronger, and slower, then it's like, okay, then maybe I need to put on more muscle and a little more body fat to like be able to keep up with like more physical players. So I think you kind of just deal with that. But just the training, it, it's a, like someone said, I think it's a it's a year-round sport now. You don't you don't just play during the season, take like a month or two off, and then you know, jump into training camp and like slowly ease your way in. Like training camp is really useless because everyone is in t- tip top shape the minute they get there. It's just like day one training camp, like everyone's fine. Training camp should just more be like a couple preseason games and, and get the season going right away. Cause no one like really wants to get hurt. Everyone's just ready to go. But the, the, the diet part of it, the way guys take care of themselves, um, it just starts at such an earlier age now. And I think, you don't want to do it, but everyone's doing it. So you're like, man, I got to do it just to like keep up with those guys. And, and the ones that last the longest are the ones that constantly kind of adapt and constantly evolve with kind of like what's going on around them. They're just like, Oh man, I really got to pee. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. You too. Hey, sorry. Good song. Out of that. <laughs> you haven't heard it. Listen to it. Cause it's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. The longest P Paul and I used to listen to that. Like it was our job. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Keep going. No. Hey Staz. Um, I wanted to ask you too, dude. So you won an Olympic silver medal with team USA. And for me, like it doesn't get much better than that. Like representing your country playing against and with the best players in the world. Like talk to us a little bit about what that experience was like. And like, honestly, what's it like to legitimately play with the best players in the world in that type of competition? It must've been just like freaking unreal. Yeah. I mean, it was, I think now you appreciate more. I think as athletes, sometimes we're so in the moment and we don't look at it where that's where, you know, my dad was probably the same way, but then he's playing. He appreciated the Olympics a lot more when he was just a spectator and being able to watch, whether it was me or watch other people. Um, the one in Vancouver, I think, was, I mean, I, I played in Sochi too, but Vancouver was awesome just because like, Canada is obviously the hockey 
capital of the world, right? So every game, you, I mean, you wouldn't believe, like, there was three games a day at two different ranks, sometimes two, sometimes three. But, like, even, you know, Austria, Belarus would play, like, noon, and it'd be sold out. And it was weird because at that rank in Vancouver, if capacity is, like, 18,000, what they do at the Olympics is basically, like, one whole side of it, like, they take the seats out and they kind of put, like, tables there, and that's where, like, all the media is. So, really, there's, there's not 18,000 fans. There's probably 13,000. But it was the loudest. Like, when we played Canada in the finals, like, I remember going out for warm-ups. And you see these commercials where um, – you see the commercials, like, sometimes for World Cup – where, like, they showed, like, the U.S. national team, like, in the locker room at Mexico City and, like, the whole locker room shaking. Like, like that's how I was walking out to warm-ups, just because, like, everyone was so amped up in that whole game. And I think it, it sucked because we lost. So we won silver, we lost gold the way we lost. And, you know, we thought we, we could have won or easily could have won. So I think you're so close. So I think you're almost, like, deflated there. But I think looking back, you just – you come to appreciate how, how special it is to play for your country, to play with the best players and, and see what all those guys are doing. Because, I mean, every guy's – top guy on their team and every guy decides to play a different role for for their country and, and it was all about winning and you have guys that are playing 25 minutes a night decided to play seven minutes a night and be blocking shots all the time because that's what it took you know to win a game that's what they wanted to do and you really see like the ultimate sacrifice when it comes to to someone playing to the team sacrifice when it comes to the olympics or playing for your country like that that's so cool how crazy did you go when parise scored that goal to to tie it up with less than a minute left was that that just like uh, holy crap! I don't even know who was next to me. I don't know if it's like Bobby Ryan or something, but I mean, our bench was going nuts. Like <laughs> guys are just getting punched in the face, like elbows <laughs> in the jaw. Like, oh, like it was, you know, it was just like the bench. I wish they'd like have a scene of the bench. The guys in the ice are going nuts. Guys in the bench are just jumping, like mauling each other. And then I think after we scored that, you're like, oh, we got this. Like you know, we got where we want them all of a sudden because all of a sudden the momentum changes. But then you know, overtime hits. But um yeah, I feel like I don't, like now that you say that, I almost completely forgot about that because all I can think about is just like that last goal, and all of a sudden you, you take a step back and you realize like how good that game was. Because I remember just like a couple of games later, or like one funny story is right after the Olympics, we're flying. The Olympics, our last game, the game was on a Sunday because it's basically the last event before the closing ceremonies. And I think on Monday night, yeah, Monday night or something crazy, the NHL was we're the only team playing Colorado against Detroit, and usually like that that's a rivalry game where like, it's so loud at the Pepsi center. And I was like, this is so quiet, but it was actually loud. But because I was so used to like how loud it was, how crazy the atmosphere was at the Olympics. That it was like, it felt like a preseason game. It was so weird. I'm like, I've never like, like experienced something like that where I come to appreciate like how awesome the Olympics were in Canada. But it was, yeah, I mean, it's it just, it's great. It's crazy to think about now and, and kind of appreciate it. And I think when you're younger, you want to tell guys for hockey, it's different for basketball it might be different, but a lot of these athletes, like that's the sport that they play their whole life. And it's like every four years, that's what they chat they have. And you know, that's what they work their whole life for. Where for us, sometimes we look at like our whole life is if we make it to NHL, we're like, Oh, that was our goal. Where you know, as, as a kid, you don't really think about playing the gold medal game as a hockey player. You think about NHL. So when you do have a chance to play in the Olympic, it's just, it's basically like another layer and just more icing on the cake. And to be able just to experience that, I think it's, it's something you never dream about. So cool, Stas. 
<laughs> so cool. I got to say, too, just when when you were talking about Toph, when you told that story, oh, you know, uh, Denver walked Staz to the bus so that nobody could talk to him. It's hilarious. I was doing the opposite. That's why our junior experience was different. I was finding the coaches and walking them to their cars. I'm like, hey, uh, I'll come for free to your school. <laughs> Oh, that actually comes back with Mista, different jackets. You'd, you'd, you'd have like different jackets. I'm like, oh, did you talk to him? He's like, no, he left the jackets there. Just you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's all about me. It's all about like, Oh, we want this guy. <laughs> oh God, too funny, man. Too funny. Hey, here's another quick story for you, Tove, because you know we're getting towards the end here, and I want to tell stories. We we're talking about Mr. Staz and Paul and. So we'd go over and, you know, we didn't skate in the summer when we were younger. And so we'd play soccer at Stasny's house. And, you know, I never didn't play enough sports growing up and wasn't like the most athletic guy, you know, like Paul and his family and months were. And so we're over there playing soccer one day and pistol takes it so effing seriously. <laughs> and I'm just brutal. And I miss the net and we're playing with a hockey goal on the grass and I'm playing against NHL hall of famer, Staz, future NHL or Jan, future NHL or one of his sisters, like sick tennis player. And I'm just the worst one being exposed left and right. And Mr. Stasny <laughs> finally grabs a ball and he's like, Jeffrey, go inside and hang out with the arena. That's Mr. Stasny. <laughs> so he literally made me go inside, watch them play soccer through the kitchen window <laughs> while Mrs. Staz is cooking everybody lunch. Like that. <laughs> oh, that's, that's awesome. Mr. Oh. Staz. So, so you would have loved these soccer because there was like, one time I brought one of my buddies from, from school that actually played soccer at Chaminade, so he was unreal. And he didn't realize it's like three on three. So basically it's just like full contact. Like all you want to do is like, be, you're just working on sprints up and back and forth. And like, there's not that much skill to it, you know? So the, he's like trying to do all these skill moves. And like all of a sudden my brother just runs him over. And he's like, <laughs> okay, so this is how it's going to be. Okay, it's not really like a skilled game, you know? So they, and especially in the summers in St. Louis, it's so humid. Like you just get a good sweat out of it. And it's just, there's just something different. So I think when the first time, like whether it was Meyer, Munt, or, or Vex would play, like they didn't realize like, okay, this is just like three on three, like, you, you know, just the ultimate battle of like who can be more physical and just like who has more possession and just like get in front of guys and just run as fast as you can. <laughs> so it's basically like kind of like a mixture of soccer, rugby, and hockey, huh? They play mini hockey, like three on three in the basement, you know, like full <laughs> contact. That, 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 that's basically what it was. Like we're playing in the hallways of the hotel two on two. And it's just like trying to go around guys as full contact. <laughs> that's unreal. I actually remember like when, uh, when Vex and his family would have like his, his summer fest, summer parties, and we'd all have a really good time. And I actually remember talking to your dad once. Um, and like, I was like, Oh man, I can't wait to talk hockey with Mr. Stasny. And legitimately we talked soccer. Like we didn't talk hockey once. We just talked about soccer and it was actually really cool because he was like telling me like about all like the kind of like the similarities between the games and how you can train one way and it'll, it'll adapt your game in a different way to, to hockey. And it was, it was really, really interesting, but your dad's pretty intense, huh? Like he's an intense fella. Oh yeah. He's a, a very sore loser. Him and my brother almost got like a couple of fights with their, Especially as we got older, because my brother is exactly like him, both super stubborn. So all of a sudden, you know, you're down a goal. He always had the stopwatch. Like, oh, we're playing 20 minutes, you know, a half or whatever. So it was like 40 minutes. And we'd be like, Dad, what's the time? He's like, oh, it's, uh, it's 39 minutes. And he'd still be down one goal. And all of a sudden, like five minutes later, like no one had scored. My brother's like, 
you know, what's the time say? He's like, uh, 39 and a half minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and then like 10 minutes would go on and then he'd score. He'd be like, oh, time's up. It's a tie. And all of a sudden, like, my brother would just be heated, you know, like, went talk to him all night, just be absolutely pissed off. And my dad's like, man, why Why is Jan so mad? I'm like, dad, you're exactly like him. Like, if it was the other way around, you'd be the one to be heated. You know, my dad, my dad always, like, will skate in the summer times, and you can ask my mom this, like, in fact, you know, that's at the alumni skates. And in the mornings, you know, if his team loses, or he always wants to win the last game, because if he wins the last game, he comes home at, like, 930 in the morning, and... He's just in a great mood. He's got CNBC on TV. He's like talking to my mom, like having a cup of coffee, a bagel, some fruit. But if he loses like all the games, they just had a bad team. They lost like all three games. Like he comes home and just nothing. Doesn't even say a word. And I'll call my mom. I'm like, oh, how's, you know, how's the old man? He's like, oh, he must have lost all his games today because he, he hasn't really said a word. He's just in his office, not, you know, not talking to anyone. I'm like, of course. <laughs> but that's just, that's, I think that's a competitive spirit like that. You know, we have in them, and then I think I have – that's one thing. I like. My brother has probably more than me, but, like, I have it. I don't show it as much. Like, I keep it more internal, but, like, he kind of always, like, wears his hair on his sleeve when it comes to competition like that, and I think that's what made him, you know, who he is as a hockey player, and that's what's made him, you know, who he is in life as, you know, away from hockey where he's probably been, a, you know, more successful in, in raising us and, and doing what he's done with his family and, and doing stuff in politics. So I think that's what he's more, most proud of is – you know, he never he never changed his ways, and he always he was always you know big principle guy, big value guy, and you know that was the biggest thing he always taught us. And he you know always kind of you know stick to your core values and don't get away from it, no matter no matter you know what the short term kind of results might be. Yeah, and and dude, like you just hit on something that I think is so important, and that's wanting to win at everything you do. You know, <clears throat> excuse me, like. I was having, I had some junior guys in the gym today and we were just doing, you know, this exercise where it was, I made it a competition and, you know, some of them, like I could tell that they kind of wanted to give up and I'm like, no, want to win at every single thing you do all day long. Obviously not in like personal relationships, but like anything that you can make a competition, make it your goal that you will win it. That's how your dad was. That's how you are. That's how Toph is. That's how I am. Like, am I, a, people are like, oh, sore loser, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, man, I'm a sore loser. Cause I'm mad at myself. I didn't win. I want to win at everything I do. And that translates to working, to hockey, to, you know, business, like whatever. I want to be the best at it. And I think kids today sometimes just like, kind of like let things go a little too easily as far as like in the gym, in practice. Like I don't want to get beat wide ever in practice. I don't want you to ever beat me. I want to score every single time I shoot any puck on any goalie I've ever shot. And that's a mentality that is practiced and it's a habit. And it starts when you're playing soccer in the backyard with your family. And I love that pistol was like that rattled. You know, I look back and I respect him for kicking me out. I was embarrassing. (laughs) You know, but, but like, that's the kind of mentality that will force you. It will force you to get better every day. If you want to beat that person across from you as a man, hockey is a man's game or a woman's game. If you're, if you're a woman playing, playing against girls, look at that person across from me and you got to think, I will not let you beat me. I will beat you 10 out of 10 out of 10 out of 10 times. And people need to have more of that in their, in their soul. I think. Yeah. And I, and you know, you say that, like, but it's, it's very rare because, like, whether it's teams I grew up with, like, you still see, like, there's certain guys that are like, man, this guy, like, this guy's pissed off every time we lose or, and this guy just wants to win. And then there's, there's people that are just, like, they're happy to be there. And, like, and I don't know, you, you, you can't really, like, you can try to change them. You can try to, like, get them going. And I don't know if it's just in their DNA or not. 
and sometimes like that frustrates you, but then you're like, man, I can't focus about like how this guy is. I got to worry about me. But yeah, like I think that's the biggest thing. And I think we talked about this. I can't stand when you play summer hockey, like shinny, right? And you're playing with, there's pro players, there's college guys, there's juniors guys. You know, it's, it's a good hockey game, you know, whether it's St. Louis or Denver for me in the summers. And you're just playing a game and it's just like first one to five. And I'm not going to be the guy that's going to like go wide and tuck my shoulder down and try to like rip it right by the goalie's head. Oh, at me? At time, like, I'll just, <laughs> yeah. But at the same yeah. time, like, if we're, like, I, like, especially if it's early in the summer, or, like, to me, I'm just going out there to get out there and, like, get, you know, kind of slowly get back in the rhythm of skating in. But at the same time, if there's, if there's ever a one-on-one, a guy's about to shoot it, like, I'll get a stick on it every time. Like, I won't just, like you said, I'll never let a guy be me wide. Because I'm like, at least, like, give an effort, but you don't have to be, like, the try-hard guy. But, like, keep these habits up. Like, you don't want to, I, nothing worse. I can't stand getting scored on. Like, I hate having a good game where you might have good points and the team wins. But you're like a minus one or minus two, and sometimes like it's bad. It's like a, it's a fault of mine. But I, like I, I get more rattled about like being a minus player than I do about like oh, you know, if I'm plus and I have zero points, I'm like oh that's good. But if I had like a couple points and I was minus two, you know, in my head I'm like what could I have done differently? And like that just like stuff like that really like grinds my gears and gets to me where it's just some people are just they're just happy to be there. You know that they just live that life like happy go lucky and I'm like don't take it for granted. You just never know how long you're gonna do it. But it's just like a life lesson, too, because I think everywhere you want to be, you always want to like be the best at what you can do, and you always want to find ways to kind of get better at it. And I think that's just it's – it's like a good life lesson to have in my mind. Yeah, for Love sure. It. I mean the best the best are always they're – never satis- they're never satisfied. You know, and, and there's so many levels of hockey that you can get to when you're a kid, right? You can get to midget hockey, and that's great. And then you get to junior hockey, and that's great. And you get to college hockey, that's great. And then you get to the pros, that's great. But, like, the ones who actually end up moving on, they're just – like you said it even, you, they're not just happy to be there. Like, they want to get better every day, and, and uh, I, I love that. And it's uh, probably a huge part of the reason why you are where you are today, man. And, and uh, it's been so cool to, to kind of watch you progress and watch you kind of go through your, your career from afar um, and watch you have all the success that you've had because you're such a such a great guy, and Jeff can attest to that. He obviously – you guys were best buddies growing up and stuff, but really proud of kind of what you've done and, and the person that you are and, and wish you nothing but success kind of moving forward. Yeah, yeah thanks. Thing, guys. Go ahead, and Seth. One more story. Back to you talked about this, or Toe talked about this. I still remember when we played you guys, Toe, when, when I think – were you guys on – or you might have been CYA at the time. When we played you guys, and half of you guys were just – you guys are so good that like half of you guys are just working on like you get off the ice and you guys are doing dry land and then you pull your goalie the whole game. And I think you still beat us. Like I think Vex talked about. I think I got an assist on that goal, Vex. I think you buried it and we lost like yeah. nine to one. Yeah. I mean, if there was if there was a Corsi back then, the Corsi would have been like ninety nine point three percent for. I don't know. Was it, was it, I think you guys were CYA, weren't you? That, that yeah, year? CYA. That, that was year. the year they won the Natty Championship. Man, it was seven to one. And they had half the team doing dry land in their equipment while half the team played. And then they switched and they played the third without a goalie. I mean, to think about that, you could have a whole team, like be that good, that smart, like protect the puck, you know, like move it around was like, just a, like, uh, speaks volume of, uh, was Stan, was Stan, is that his name? The coach? Yeah. The Stanimal. Yeah. We got to yeah. have, it just speaks volume. Yeah. yeah. Cause like, you know, if we, you could try to do that, but if you don't have like the depth and the smart players, it's just like, Eventually, you're going to score a couple empty net goals, and we got one, though. Hey, we got one. <laughs> uh, he, he's going to do one. He's going to do one. He's a godfather. He lives ten feet away from us, dude. Just think about like, just think about this, though. So we had that team that was that was really good, obviously. But then you take that team and you take like 
then our select festival teams, when we used to go out to St. Cloud and play against, uh, you know, all the, it's not like it anymore. They kind of, they do it where everybody plays with everybody from different regions. But um, before at the select festivals, the, the U.S. national tryouts, it was like your district would play against each other. So like that team take yeah. away like the bottom half of the players and add like you two guys, Ryan Suter, like Al Montoya was our goalie. Muntz was on the team. Like, dude, that, that U.S. select 16 central team, Jake Dowell was on the team too. He played much. Andy Mizey, yeah. Mizey, list this. What a team, huh? Yeah, well, that, 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 well, that, basically, that whole team, why well, I went Division One for sure. Oh, yeah. Hemi, for sure. <laughs> I, I, we went, we, I think we won that year, and then the next year, Vax, like, a lot of those guys were at the program, and like we were still, that Central District team was, we were, we were unreal at Select 17 as well. Cause we, same yeah, thing, we, we, won, like, think, we won 17. I we got, uh, we got, Silver at um, sixteen. At sixteen, and, we, and Tof and I actually just saw Josh Skiba. Remember that name? We saw him. He beat us in the in the sixteens game with all those sick Michigan studs that wound up playing at the program. Yeah, it always, that, that's funny. It was him, like him and Hensick were like the big guys. And you, you talk about now, you don't even know. Like we didn't know there was only one or two names we knew, like outside of our regions, because you didn't hear about anything, right? So like whether it was like O'Sullivan or Shrem, and now these kids, like you said, they're so young and they all have these rankings that everyone knows about every other player. And sometimes it's just like, it's just like more information to worry about where you're like, dude, just don't worry about that. Cause like you said, everyone develops at a different stage in life. And you know, you have early bloomers that are unbelievable. And you have guys that, you know, won't, you know, don't like don't bloom till they're 22, 23. And all of a sudden, like, you know, they just, they find a different route and there's always like a different path to get where you want to be. Amen. Cream rises to the top if you hate losing and just want to kill everyone, including protein chicks. <laughs> <laughs> well, Staz, can't thank you enough, man. I know you got a lot going on, and uh, good luck finding a new house in Vegas. Toph and I will be at your door uh, in a month looking to party. I'm here to party. <laughs> Rod, only one of us can like. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, Stabby.